Welcome everybody to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge, where I have with me voice actor Keith Silverstein, who has been Char. He's also been Full Frontal in Gundam Unicorn, as well as in Naruto, Durara, Kogius, Sailor Moon, and recently Blood Iron Orphans, as well as the video game Overwatch. So thank you for being on my podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Hello, everyone. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great that you're on because you've been in so many roles. So a lot of my listeners want to know, how did you first discover voice acting? Well, I guess I always knew it existed uh, when I was younger. I don't know that that was my focus. I took a lot of theater courses when I was in school, junior high and high school. And I think that was my focus is just to do like on camera stuff probably is what I wanted initially. And what happened that got me into it is my uncle called me up and he was doing a project for PBS and he had all this artwork and he had this poetry to go with the artwork. And basically he wanted the poetry read in a voice that suited the artwork. And so he called me up and asked if I'd like to audition for it. And I was like, yeah, sure. He said, you know, I know you've always done voices. So I was like, yeah, let me give it a shot. And, you know, he cast me as a number of the poets, I guess. That was my first time doing it, but we went to a real studio. It wasn't a jinky recording session. I mean, it was a real studio. There was another actress there recording stuff too. And it really kind of blew my mind. I knew it was a job, but I'd never really thought about it. And then I was like, people do this. And so I fell in love with it just from that small dip in the water that I immediately started taking classes is how do I do this? How do I make this become my life? And obviously you didn't have any formal training for your first job. How did you go about finding classes to take and getting trained as a voice actor? I'm living in the right place. I live in Burbank, California. So 80%, I'll just throw a wild number out there. The studios that I work with are either in Burbank or just in a city adjacent to Burbank. Worst case scenario, I've got to drive about 45 minutes to get to a studio, but usually it's there three to 10 minutes away. So I'm in the right spot. And so a lot of the classes are here as well. A lot of the studios are here. So I, I started looking up classes and making some phone calls. The first class I took was an animation class. It was taught by Bob Bergen, who's a very famous voice actor, has a great list of credits to his name. Probably most notable, he's the voice of Porky Pig and has been for some time. And so I took that and that was a blast. I enjoyed that and I learned a ton from that and got more confidence from that. And then I took another class. There's a studio called Kalmanson and I took more of a technical class with them. It helped me get a demo reel ready and just kind of understand what I sounded like and how I should market myself and what I should be reading for. And from those too, that was the main gist of training that got me started. And then it was the grind of well, how do I get my name out there? How do I get an agent? And I didn't know anybody. So it was really difficult to get representation. I had a couple of agencies that were kind of shoddy. A lot of my friends with the agents never got paid for certain gigs. I was a little more aggressive. So I actually got paid for all the gigs I did. They always took like an extra 10% off. There's nothing I could do about that. But you know, you live and learn and I needed it. And at the time it got me some credits and it helped me to meet some people. So it was actually a positive thing, even though I mean, I kind of knew they were stealing from us a little bit. But sometimes you do what you got to do. So it got me here, you know. And now, what was your first anime role that you had? I go back and forth on my anime roles because in my memory, it's not 100% clear. I think my first role was on a show called IGPX. So Bang Zoom Entertainment did something called IGPX. And I played just various characters throughout. But I got a big kick out of it. It was a union show. There were a lot of big names on there, like Mark Hamill, Michelle Rodriguez. There were just really cool names on it. I mean, aside from the anime world, there were some great voice actors that I know. But there were also just celebs in it. And so for me, it was kind of cool. I had a scene opposite Mark and I didn't meet him. He doesn't know who I am. It was just kind of like, oh, that's cool. I just did this scene with him. It was really fun because I mean, it was my first thing and I grew up on anime. So I'm pretty sure that was the first. If it wasn't that, it was a brief stint on a few episodes of Samurai Champloo. But I think it was IGPX first. And now one of your bigger roles that you had in your career was on Sailor Moon and Sailor Moon R and Sailor Moon S. How'd you come across this anime? For those of you who don't know out there, Sailor Moon is old school, classic anime. 
I guess it was done in the 80s, I think. What Viz Media has done is they've gone back to those episodes that were always cut. They were all edited for television from the original anime. And they're kind of putting out an uncut version now, and they've recast the entire series. So I've been working on Sailor Moon actually for the last three years. We just finished recording Semi recently for Sailor Moon S, or at least I did, but I think we finished that whole arc. But there'll be more stuff too, because we have the Sailor Moon Crystal, which follows the manga a little bit more tightly. It wasn't an early one in my career. It's actually a later one, which is really cool, actually, because everybody knows what Sailor Moon is. So before I was working in the industry, I knew what Sailor Moon was. I used to go to different Comic-Con, and if anybody was cosplaying back in the day. I know everybody does it now, but it didn't used to be as popular cosplay when you go back 20 years. But Sailor Moon was one of the few that I would see. And they're Sailor Guardians now, but they were Sailor Scouts, according to the first series. So that was just an honor. It was really cool that they were bringing it back in some way. And you never thought you'd get to work on something that was completed. And then for me to get to work, I mean, I was over the moon with that. It's got such an incredible fan base and it's such a great show. It's great role models for girls and women around the world. Role models really for anyone. But when it comes to anime and, and cartoons in general, when girls and women can get more role models, I think that's better since so many cartoons are dominated by male characters. And now you played in Sailor Moon, Dr. Tome and Kenji. How'd you get casted for these two roles? Well, I got cast initially for Kenji Tsukino, who is Sailor Moon's father, who's kind of oblivious. He's very happy. I pinch his voice just a little bit like this, and he's just kind of doing his own thing, and he's happy most of the time. Doesn't always catch on what's going on with his daughter and all the craziness. Doesn't realize how often she's saving the world, even though it's right under his nose. And as far as I remember, yeah, I guess I just auditioned for it, and they brought me in, which is great. And then it was maybe a year later... I got another audition for Sailor Moon and they wanted me to read for Professor Tomoe and that was a completely different character. I mean, they're both dads, but Tomoe is kind of a mad scientist. So he's always scheming. He's always up to something. He's very cliche in a lot of it. I mean, he has those cackling laughs. He's originally written that way. He's drawn that way. So you got to go that route with him. He's not subtle. He's not a subtle villain whatsoever. So they're very different. Two totally different ends of the spectrum for dads as far as dads go. If you were going to have a dad, you would want Kenji to be your dad. You don't want Tomoe to be your dad. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, you just don't. Trust me. I know. And now, obviously, Sailor Moon, as you alluded to, is one of those legendary animes. Yes. Is there any pressure that you feel voice acting in it? When we work on a show as big as Sailor Moon, the producers are there and they have a gun to our heads. And we have like three mistakes per session. We can mess up or do something they don't like. And then afterwards, there's one bullet in the chamber. And afterwards, they'll spin that. They'll just roulette on us. So there's a lot of pressure. You know I'm kidding, right? Like, I hope you know I'm kidding. Please know I'm joking. They didn't do that. There is a lot of pressure. And the weird thing about the pressure is, like a lot of fans, when something comes out, for example, of course, everybody's going to critique it. They're going to love it. They're going to hate it. They're going to whatever. But there's so many different lines of impressing people or let's put it this way when i'm in the booth i want to be happy with my performance but the director i'm relating to immediately and the director is going to tell me what they want and they of course know the show better than i do they're running the show they know what's happening so we're going to agree together okay you like that i like okay that makes more sense with it great so if we're both happy with it then there's also the producers and the producers need to be happy with it so if we're both happy with it and the producers are happy with it then that line makes it to the show then of course you wait like six months and the fans hear it and hopefully they like it so there's always that kind of pressure of like just that it gets to the show you know that the first three elements liked it and then hopefully the fans like it too. There's only so much you can do because you have so many people you have to please. So hopefully the fans will love it. So far, they seem to be loving the redub of Sailor Moon just in general. So I can't imagine that's going to change when Sailor Moon S arrives, hopefully soon, because I can't wait for it. 
And now you also have been in Sailor Moon Crystals. How'd you get reapproached to be Kenji again? I don't know if I was reapproached because what happened is I think we knew going in that they were doing both of these series. I'm, I'm pretty sure. If not, we knew pretty soon after we started working on Sailor Moon that Crystal was following suit. So the idea with Sailor Moon Crystal is that they just follow the uh, manga a little more truthfully. There's no filler in there. This is what the manga did. This is what we're going to do for the most part. I mean, there might be slight variances. I'm not sure because I'm not familiar with the manga, but that's the idea behind it. So basically everyone who is playing a role in Sailor Moon will most likely reprise said role in Crystal. There may be some exceptions to that. I don't know, but that is my understanding. And we knew going into it, like, this is awesome. We're going to get to do everything twice because obviously the dialogue will be different. So it was kind of a cool two for one voiceover special. Today only, two for one, voiceover special. Did you find that you voicing Kenji's voice was different in Sailor Moon versus Sailor Moon Crystals? For that one, not so different. He's written a little differently. I, I feel like the old Sailor Moon's a little hokier, a little goofier, which I actually really like. Then Sailor Moon Crystal actually has better animation and the action just animated better. And I really like that. So they both have something to offer. And I really like the nostalgia of the original too. So they're both great in their own ways. I don't think Kenji changed too much. I don't think he was in Crystal nearly as much as you could imagine because he's Sailor Moon's dad. He's more of a filler character anyway. He kind of needs to be there, but he doesn't move the plot along so much. So he's not as relevant in Crystal. For Tomoe, haven't started working on Crystal yet with him. I mean, hopefully that all goes as planned. But he may be a little different. I'm not sure. We haven't actually aired any of the Tomoe stuff yet. But when I see him in Crystal, I'll speak with the director and any of the producers from Viz who may be there and, and decide whether he's going to be just as over the top or less over the top. I'll definitely base him in the same vocal space so that you'll know it's the same character. But I may have to pull back a little bit with it or change it just slightly. We'll see. It'll be a community decision, I would assume. Unless they just tell me, hey, don't do that. Do this. And then I guess that's a community decision, too. I go, yes, absolutely. And now to go back a little bit back in your career back in okay back back <laughs> back in time okay there you go you appeared in timberwolf as a few different characters loopy t wolf igor beaver dash snake and termite how did these roles come about that is one of my first professional gigs that I did, and it's still one of the ones I hold dearest. Thomas Timberwolf was a project that was originally created by the legendary Chuck Jones, who created so many of the Looney Tunes characters and directed Academy Award winning shorts from the Looney Tunes that we all know. One of the greatest animation directors ever. And this was something he'd come up with back in the day. So basically, this was an internet cartoon, one of the first internet cartoons. They had to do it in Flash and they had to keep the files as small as possible for these cartoons. They were like five minute cartoons, I think. It may be less than that. And they had to be small because so many people could not download them fast enough because computers just were not up to par yet. Nowadays, they wouldn't have that problem, but it was in 2001, I think it was released, October 2001. It was called Thomas Timberwolf. I worked with uh, Joe Alasky, Nancy Cartwright on this, and it was one of my first gigs ever. It was original animation, which means we recorded it not to picture. We had nothing animated yet. We maybe saw an image of our character. And the way that came about is one of my best friends, Charlie Puzo, was working on this project. And he got me an audition for Steve Fusati, who was basically Chuck Jones' right-hand man. And I just rambled off 20 or 30 character voices in the hopes that they would need somebody just to do incidentals. And they received it very well. And, you know, I got the word back like, yeah, he's great. You know, we could definitely use him on this. So I was over the moon. And it was really some of my first experiences getting into the studio and working opposite professional actors who I already knew of and respected. Plus, I'm working on a Chuck Jones project. And that's still 
one of those things I think very few voice actors today can say that they worked on a Chuck Jones project, I would assume. Maybe I'm wrong. So that's always been near and dear to me. And those, you can find them online. They're not on anything official. It was Warner Brothers. Originally, they had a website for them, but there is a website. I think it's called Free Edison that has almost all of them posted up there. So you can watch them, these little shorts. Very cool. They have that Looney Tunes vibe to them. They're just simplified for file size purposes. And now another role you held was in Naruto as Kimimaro. Yes. How did this role come about? Gara, you wield sand, but your powers are limited to the amount of sand that fits into that gourd. A lot of times, one show or one production leads to another production. I worked on a game called Umbrella Chronicles, Resident Evil Umbrella, and I played a character named Hunk, and the director for that, my memory serves me right, was Mary Elizabeth McGlynn. I think I worked on two things with her. I think I'd worked on one of the Soul Calibur games and I'd worked on Resident Evil. At any rate, I had never done any work for a studio called Studiopolis, which is a fantastic studio that does all kinds of animation and features and everything. They do a lot of anime, they do a lot of original animation, all kinds of stuff, really the whole gamut. And I'd never worked for them before. So after she directed me, she brought me in to that studio to record Kimimaro and Naruto. I knew what Naruto was. I knew it was a hugely popular show. I had about 10 episode arc with my character and it was a really great 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 role he was such a fun character to play he, there was so much depth to his character I mean there really was he's kind of a bad guy and kind of brainwashed and he knows he's dying from the beginning of it there's no escaping that and it was such a great juicy role to get as my first one over there and my first stint into the world of Naruto that was how I worked first on Naruto and also worked for Studiopolis the first time so sometimes that's how that works I don't think I auditioned for the role I think she just having worked with me once or twice brought me over so thank you Mary and now going into this role, it led to a bunch of work with Naruto. Yeah. Did you, did you know like you'd be in video games and movies no. and repress characters and other no, characters? No, 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 no. Absolutely else? not. It's not a mystery. It's not a spoiler to tell you guys he dies at the end of the 10 episode arc. You know it's going to. It's much more or less how and what happens and everything that makes it exciting. You know, it's like when you watch Titanic, you know it's going to sink at the end. It doesn't make the movie bad. You know, it's the same thing. You, you realize that right when you meet this character that he's going to die. So once he was out, I thought, yeah, but you know, he ends up with a couple of flashbacks and for one episode somewhere later revived as a zombie. And not only that, as you mentioned, is he was such a popular character that, that they brought him into a, not every one of their video games but a, a big number of those Naruto video games what are they called Ninja Storm they're like Ultimate Ninja Storm or something like there's been like seven or eight of those and I, I've been in a good chunk of those and then there was another line for the uh, Xbox 360 of games that they were doing Naruto also and he appeared in those and I can't remember what those were called but yeah no I had no idea I must have done seven or eight maybe more video games as Kimimaro and he make him back again I don't know there's a lot of characters in it but if they have enough characters in their fighting games he is one of the ones they like to include so I've been very fortunate you never know that going into a role. It's nice when a role keeps giving. It's really nice. And now you're also Yura in Naruto Shippuden. How did that come about? I think I just auditioned for that. Some of these I have great stories for and some of them are really the grind of what being a voice actor is, which is every day you get so many auditions, either in your email or your agent calls you up and you head into your agency and you record there. But a lot of us can record from home. I'm speaking to you from my home studio right now. So we email a lot of our auditions out, which helps us to read for a lot more characters and not have to drive all around LA in order to do so. It's very convenient. So I think for that one, I just auditioned for it. I think once you start working with a studio and or a particular director, sometimes they'll just throw roles your way because they're aware, they see the character coming up and they go, oh, this would be good for Keith or this would be good for so-and-so. So sometimes it happens that way. I'm not sure with Yura if I read for him or whether Mary Elizabeth just said, oh, Keith would be good for this. So I, I don't know. I'm always happy to work. Any gig is a good gig because like we talked about earlier, you never know what's going to come from any gig. You might get more roles as that character. You might meet a new director. You never know what it's 
going to spawn. Maybe that character is in video games. Maybe you meet somebody in the lobby that gets you more work. So work begets more work. And now around this same time, you began to work on Bleach as Mabashi, Coyote, Stark, and Tessra, to name a few characters. How did these characters? I think the first time I worked on Bleach, it was Mabashi. He was really fun. Now, that was Wendy Lee directing that, if I remember correctly. He was a lot of fun. He was a bounce in the bounce arc. I know it's not the most popular Bleach arc. This particular character, even though he was a bad guy, he wasn't as bad as the others in his group who wanted to really wreak havoc and what have you. And he was more like, no, 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 that's not what we're supposed to do. He basically drank this, I think it was like Beatos juice, I think is what it was called. But anyway, he drank something that then made him bloodthirsty and power hungry and more powerful as well. And under that influence, he was, for lack of a better word, slightly insane, power hungry insane. And it was really fun to play that where you're just crossing into insanity. Not mad scientists absolutely cackling crazy, but just relishing the power. <laughs> it's a fun place to play. And he was very cool. And Bleach has been great to me because I've been fortunate enough to play all villains on Bleach, actually. But there were a lot. I was Aronero, I uh, was Tesla, Kusaka, the Diamond Dust Rebellion movie. I played the lead villain in that. Kusaka was his name in that. And that was another really great role. Coyote Stark, of course. There were a number. Check my website. There's probably a few others that I'm not thinking of right now. But Bleach has been great to me. I've, they've let me play a lot of villains. I'm always down for another one. It's always fun to see what I can come up with that's different than the ones I've done so far. And you also were in Eureka 7 as William Baxter and Toko as Kaido. Now you're going back, especially Toko. I feel like that was one of my really early ones when I was first just working with Bang Zoom. I'm not sure if I'd worked it before I'd worked with Studiopolis or anybody else. I remember that as being one of my early, early, early ones. Eureka 7. Yeah, Stephanie Shea directed that, if I remember correctly. I mean, maybe she directed a portion of it and uh, Tony Oliver a portion. It might have been the case. That was cool. I got an episode. William in that is in one particular episode. He would be considered maybe a lead in that episode because he's got a lot of dialogue, but he's just kind of in one episode. He's just a guest character. And that was fun because that was one of the first times I think that I had such a mouthful to say. So I had a lot of dialogue and that was fun because I like to talk, which helps in this career, I guess. I guess. He was really high, by the way, not on drugs. Well, he might have been on drugs. I'm not sure. But he was high pitched. When I was first getting started, a lot of the roles I was reading for, strangely enough, were much younger, higher pitched guys. So I would take my normally deep voice and I would slowly creep it up and make myself younger until, you know, I find a point that's high enough. And some of these characters were super young. So I go like way up here. But in anime, you know, you can get away with that sometimes. So, you know, it just depends. So it's kind of funny because I did a lot of higher roles. I was auditioning against Johnny Young Bosch, which, I mean, hands down, he lives in that higher range. He does such a great job at it. It's funny when I have such a deep voice and I'm reading for those. I was able to book some in the beginning of my career. And I remember William being particularly high. I don't remember what he sounded like. I know he was pretty young and high. Not on drugs. Stop thinking that. Why are you thinking that out there? I don't mean that. He might have been. I don't know. Rolling right along. You are a major part of Rosen Maiden as Detective Kun Kun, the terrifying... K-U-N, K-U-N, yeah. Listen, Kun Kun, just so you know what it is, Kun Kun is, he's a detective. And Kun Kun is Japanese for sniff sniff because he's a detective right so he's always sniffing out the clues that's where his name is so now you know now you all know and knowing is half the battle gi joe i'm kind of wacky it does help most of the time it happens on my podcast it's all good it's all good it's not good at uh, funerals and weddings sometimes when i just break out in <laughs> song but you know here it's it's totally appropriate and you're also the laplace demon which is the most terrifying bunny rabbit in all of anime <laughs> yeah, Laplace's demon. That's right. Yeah, that was a deeper voice role, which probably watch that now and shudder. I feel like I've gotten my deep range is much better now. I've improved on it, shall I say. I saw something I'd done years ago 
recently just happened to be on TV and I was like, oh, wow. And I was like struggling to be quite deep enough just to get that right tone out of my voice. You don't realize sometimes how much you've changed and grown until you hear something from 10, 15 years ago and you're like, oh, okay. So I haven't heard Laplace's demon in a long time, but he was a cool character to be sure. And he looked awesome. And you're also Shiro Saki. I haven't watched this in so long. I feel like he and Laplace were one and the same. But I do know that he was the doll maker's assistant slash apprentice, or at least that's what it looked like if you walked into the doll store for repairs or what have you. He was one of those young high characters too, but I, I kind of feel like he was Laplace. Now, I might be making things up. I'm sure the fans will comment and they'll be like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'll say, well, it was like, you know, 12 years ago or something, but it's been a while. But that may or may not be true, like everything I say. So what was it like working on this anime? Because it's something it, different that you're, you usually don't do. Which You've done a lot of mecha, you've done a lot of action, and this is something that's definitely kind of out of your element from a show perspective. Yeah, I guess it was a little bit more of a girly show, but it had its scary elements, supernatural elements. Like, you never know how a show's going to be. I, like, I worked on two shows at the same time at one point. I was working on Buso Rankin and Honey and Clover. And when I started working on these two shows, for those of you who know these shows, I thought right off the bat, Buso Rankin is like, it's got demons and they're fighting demons and everything. I'm like, I'm going to like Buso Rankin. Honey and Clover is all about relationships. Like teenagers and young adults, their relationships. That's what it's about. And I thought, hey, I'm happy to work on both of these. Buso Rankin is going to be the one I like more. Of course. When they came out, I watched them both. I was like, wow, I really like Honey and Clover way better than Buso Rankin. I have nothing bad to say about Buso Rankin. It's just sometimes all the things you usually like are stacked up in one side and you're like, oh, that's a show for me. And the relationship story was just funny and quirky and you really enjoyed the characters and the growth of them. It was just a much more enjoyable show for me personally. So you never know. And there wasn't a lot of action in Honey and Clover whatsoever. It wasn't that kind of show. There were people missing dates and in love with so-and-so and getting their heart broken, but that actually sucked me in far more than the endless battling of demons. So here's two shows that are off the beaten path that you don't think you'll like and you're like, whoa, that's cool. And now you were in Blade of Immortal as right, Manji, Manji, the main character. Yeah. What was that show like? That you? show was awesome. Christy Reed was directing that. That was so much fun. He is just such a cool character. And it was one of the first, not the first, but one of the first leads that I had. I think it's 13 episodes or so. It kind of ends abruptly. I love it. I think it's a great show, but it's a bit of a letdown because it doesn't really end. So anybody watching it, if you get to 13, that means you probably liked it. It just kind of stops. My character's like, I'll see you in the morning and then, then it's over. Credits roll. It's like, what? No, what happened? But the character's very cool. It's a character who's killed so many people. He's such a bad guy. I mean, he's not a villain. Maybe he starts off as a villain. He's killed so many people that he's cursed with the ability to live forever and he can't die. That's why he's the immortal. And I think his deal is the only way he can die is to save a certain amount of people or do the right thing a certain amount of times, basically. And then he'll be able to actually, which I think at this point wants to finally be able to do, is just die and move on like everyone else. He's a very interesting character, so he's still very much of a rebel. He's got a lot of attitude, but he's now doing the right thing. And he's so fun because in that kind of rebellious, boisterous kind of super badass kind of a guy. It doesn't matter what's in front of him. All right, let's do this. You know, that kind of fun character. And so I like playing badasses. They're awesome. So that was fun. I missed that show. The show should come back. And now following this role, you were in Monster as Johan. Johan. They only call him Johan, Johan in um, Spain. Now there's a spot that the role was a little bit different than anything that I had played before. That's true. Johan is a killer. The show, Monster, is a psychological thriller. Very exciting. Really pulls you in. Very dramatic. It's not for kids, not for the faint of heart. Johan himself has really no conscience. There's nothing telling him, no guilt, nothing inside him to tell him 
this is wrong or this is right. Everything is really a means to an end for him. So that's the best way I can give an example. Anything in life that you might want. Let's say there's a girl you really love. Oh, I just want to be with this girl, but she's got a boyfriend or whatever. Most people just let that go with that. Other people might still try to woo her even though she's got a boyfriend. Although you're crossing that line now. Johan would just have the boyfriend killed if that's the easier way to go about it. He would be fine with that. It's no different. He's just trying to get the girl. This is not part of the plot, but that's just him. There's no difference. Whatever the fastest, straightest line is to get to where he wants to get to, he has no qualms about using anyone, killing anyone. He was a very, very different character vocally and attitude-wise for me to play. And he was fun to play, but not fun because he was loud and yelled and screamed and villains are fun because they're loud and cackly and it's fun to let go. He was much more reserved and constrained in his evil. So he wasn't outwardly fun to play, but it was an enjoyable process, if that makes sense, for me to play someone so different from me, so different from who I am. I mean, I like to joke around in between takes, do a line and then maybe make a joke with the director and and then go to the next line. I found very early on that with Johan, I couldn't do that or I didn't want to do that because it was too weird to be super focused and evil, then make a joke and then try to get right back to super focused and evil. It, It was easier and it felt to me more professional to just stay focused and evil. So I just stayed focused and evil until they said, hey, let's take five. Then I would go get a coffee and I didn't have to be evil for five minutes at least. And now it's it's such a unique role. How did the audition process work with this character? I went to Salami Studios. I got an email with the audition in it. I read about the character. I looked over the sides a couple times. So I went in, looked at the copy. I probably read for about, I'm sure I read for Tenma, who's the lead in it. I'm sure I read for the inspector. I read for a number of characters. I just keyed really into the Johan character. It just made sense to me and I just kind of let all of my conscious go and just got really focused and I did it and I feel the room change when I did it. Sometimes you know, you're only feeling your attitude change. I didn't think like I had it or anything. I didn't feel like I got this, but I was happy with my audition. I thought, you know what? I gave them something that may not be what they want, but the mood in the room changed and that's as much as you can do. And then, yeah, I got the call that I had booked the character, which was great. I was very excited about that and I think it was very different. Word got out and to the VO community. I remember at least a few people going, or at least that I got word that they were like, what? Keith Silverstein got that? And I don't think that was, they didn't think I could do it. I didn't take that as a negative thing. I just think it was very different. We tend to put each other to some degree in the little boxes of this is what this person does. This person does grandfathers. This person does strong warriors. This is the young kid. And we all have a lot of versatility. Just we get remembered for certain things and then we get cast a lot as that. And I'm always happy when to see anybody else get a chance to play something different. I'm always like, oh, no way, that's so-and-so, that's so great. And I think for me, that was one of my moments where I got to, from the VO community, to say, yeah, I do different things. And so that was really cool for me because it was such a different role for me. And now after Monster, you entered the Gundam franchise as Full Frontal in Gundam I, I, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you just say I entered Full Front? Wait, I had my clothes on. What do you... Can you ask me the question one more time? You entered the Gundam universe as Full Frontal, the character... It still sounds like you're saying that I entered the Gundam universe naked. That's what it sounds like you're saying to me. Yes, everybody. Am I wrong? People out there, am I wrong? Does it sound like... Entered the Gundam universe naked. Now that we've gotten that out of the way. <laughs> That's true, actually. I did enter the Gundam universe naked. That is very true. I actually have never said that before in an interview, but it's the truth. So now you know. I was cast. I actually auditioned in the nude. I remember saying, I don't want anything to hold me back. I feel like my jeans and my hat and everything else I'm wearing is too much keeping me in the 21st century. I need to move beyond that. And I undressed and there was an audible gasp. But I started reading and I think the character connected with everyone. And I think within 10 seconds, everyone forgot that I was naked and that the role was mine. 
True story. We were talking about Full Frontal. Okay. So Full Frontal, how'd you get the character? How'd you get cast? How did that all happen? Nude or not nude? In between? (laughs) Semi-nude? I read for a number of characters for Gundam Unicorn. Very happy to read for it, by the way. Everybody knows what Gundam is. I had never seen a Gundam episode up to that point. I was very aware of what it was. I'd actually probably owned five or six Gundam toys in the past. As a child, even, you know, growing up, when I got to be a young teenager and I started seeing these, I wanted the ones that were all together. There was a Japanese mall in Orange County that I would go to, and, and I bought a number of really cool Gundam toys from there when I was growing up. So I knew very well what it was and the popularity of it. So I read for this character. I didn't know much about the series at all other than how popular it was. Luckily, I booked it. I really don't remember the audition too much. I mean, I remember where I was and what have you, but I was happy to get the role. The interesting thing about Gundam Unicorn, it was created at the same time to be in English and in Japanese. Most of the anime we do has already been created in Japanese. So when we get it, the animation is finished. It's in Japanese. It has to be translated and the dialogue has to be reworked. And then we come in and read it. So this was different. There was no Japanese yet. So we're still dubbing it, but most of it didn't have any Japanese yet. So we're just seeing the lip flap of the character and putting our words in over that or some scenes the lips weren't even animated yet so we just had to time it out to the amount of time before the next cut so we saw a lot of the animation unfinished while we're doing it a lot of the effects weren't in the animation yet and that was fascinating to see how that worked but it's also a very complex show and you got to realize when we do anime we do dubbing in general you only see the pieces that you're in you don't necessarily see the whole scene you just see your lines so a lot of times you don't know what's going on at all and you really heavily rely on the director to tell you what's happening and what your mood is I'm excited about this? Am I happy about this? Is this bad for me? What am I thinking? Who am I talking to? Like all those things you need help with so that you don't end up flirting with a character who's your sister because you need that. You need them to tell you, whoa, 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 that's your sister. Don't flirt with her. Otherwise you're going to make choices blindly. So I've lost track now. I see I shouldn't do so many drugs myself. Good Lord. What was I saying? So anyway, I was naked is what I was getting at. And I think that's how I booked the role. And now did your nakedness lead to the release of and how it affected you as a voice actor as it was released in episodes that were 45 minutes every three to six months? That was my nakedness, actually, that did that. The producers were like, see, I'm paraphrasing, but after seeing Keith Silverstein naked, we want these to be very long episodes. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> no, no, of course it had nothing to do with it. But I did meet some interesting people and I had quite the weekend after. That's how they had it set to go. Because they were animating it while we were going, that's why the episodes are so spread out. They can put it out really quickly when we're just throwing a dub on top of something that's finished. But with Unicorn, it wasn't finished. So while we're doing it, it's the animation still not done. So even when they get our voices, they still have to finish animating it and then release it. So I think we went in twice a year. It's hard to follow along until you've seen it because not only am I only seeing my lines, but then six months go by before I get anything else. And then I see my lines again and six more months go by. So it's not like you're going in once a week. Really spread out. It was a very different way to do it. It was definitely different, but gorgeous. Really well made. I think it came out fantastic, but a slightly different way to do anime. And now Gundam Unicorn is currently streaming on Crunchyroll in episodic format. Is that what it is? They've broken it up in like 20 minutes? In like 23 minute episodes and like it's gonna be 24 episodes so did you have to do additional voice work or did they just cut your voice into it if you're aware of any of that i don't think i did anything additional for that there may have been characters that they needed extra lines from or something i don't believe i was one of them i don't have a memory of going back in to re-record anything they're just splitting it up i don't know why they would have to unless there was new animation maybe the narrator because they broke it up i would assume maybe the narrator had to come back in that would make sense to me but my character did not you've also 
in the Gundam franchise have been Char in Mobile Suit Gundam Origins. Yes. How did you get the role of Char? I don't know who's seen what shows out there, and I don't want to throw out any spoilers, but let me just say that Full Frontal and Char are intimately connected. So it just kind of made sense that I would play Char. I don't want to get more into it than that. Those of you who know the show probably know what I mean. It was a natural progression that I would do this. I'm actually really enjoying Origins. It's really cool to see the progression of this character. It's new, so I don't want to say too much. We're only like three episodes in. Again, long version of these episodes, but we're only a few of them in and we're getting tremendously good feedback. People seem to be loving it. So this one I'm following a lot better, if that makes sense. I'm actually following the plot a lot better as I go. And I'm like, oh, that's how this happened. And oh, I see. It's cool. I'm very much enjoying it. And it's such a privilege and a pleasure to do more within the Gundam universe. There's multiple shows going on right now. That's how popular it is. Obviously, voicing Char, he's one of the top villains slash anti-heroes in all of anime. He's majorly recognizable Mm, do you say so what were you thinking while voicing him and continuously to voice him the interesting thing about him in Gundam Origin is that he starts off very young. The first episode, I don't play him. So when he was four or five or something, it's not me, clearly. As he gets older, I did get a chance to play a younger version of him, which was cool. And knowing where his voice ends up, since I've played this character before. So it's interesting to like young that up a bit. And then as he gets older in the next few episodes, I start bringing his voice to where I know it needs to be. And that was kind of fun to watch what's happening in the storyline. And between the director and myself kind of go, I think this is the moment. I think right here, is where the voice reaches what we recognize. Hopefully the fans who know the story and have watched the other Gundams are going to see that and be like, oh, he's there. There's still a little attitude to change probably because he's younger, a little more impulsive now. That was one of the fun things with him and going back and seeing how he gets to be where he is later. It was fun to have the voice evolve, not just the character, but the voice since we're doing things out of order. So Iron-Blooded Orphans is the latest Gundam you've been in. How'd you become involved in this show? I just got an email. This was not an audition. Like I said, sometimes I work with the studio for a while. They're like, oh, get Keith in for this. So I consider myself very fortunate when that happens. And I also knew it was being produced and I didn't think I'd work on it because in my opinion, I was like, oh, Char's not in this and they probably don't want me to come in. I'm a recognizable voice in the Gundam universe. They're going to be like, don't bring in Keith. Not in a bad way, but just like, don't, he's Char. We don't want him in. There's lots of actors out there. I thought I was like, oh, wow, cool. They're bringing me in. That's great. It was simple as that. Email, come on in. We want you to record for something. And at first I thought Char must be in it. And then I realized, oh, he's not. But they're still using me. That's awesome. And now you play three characters. I had these three characters come about. Well, let me give you the real skinny on that. Chad Shaden is my main character that I play in it. He does not have a ton of lines. He's not that prominent in the series. So when you come in as an actor, when you're doing dubbing, in all honesty, they pay you by the hour. So if you go in and you only have a few lines... They've got you for a couple hours no matter what. Usually they'll say, hey, we have a couple of other bit characters. These characters only have a few lines, but can you read for this character? Can you do something with your voice for that character? And so that's really how those other ones came about. Chad Chayton's the main one you'll see throughout the series. The other ones are kind of one-offs. And there'll be others too. So those of you who are watching, you may be able to pick out my voice all throughout the series as just bit characters, soldier here, soldier there, this businessman, that politician. So I'll be in there throughout. But that's how that comes about sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of we have him for two hours, we're paying him for two 
two hours, but he only has six lines. So we're going to be done in like 15 minutes. Let's have him do something else. Because there's so many voices per episode. And sometimes it's just somebody who shouts something out in the background. So we all do that. That's just part of the work we all do. Unless you have so many lines, they need your entire two hours and then some. But otherwise, we all kind of do that kind of stuff. And the show is right now popular. It just premiered on Toonami. Yes. And it did very well on Toonami. I think it was, what, number six? I've heard it's doing very well. It's on 9 o'clock, Cartoon Network's Toonami. That's 9 o'clock on the West Coast. Western Standard Time. Yeah, Western Standard Time. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I can't talk about Western anything without doing that. It's terrible. Terrible. It's a curse, I tell you. I've actually picked up a new hobby. I've been live tweeting recently. So for those of you out here on Twitter, which is probably all of you, I would assume. Are you youngins? I live tweeted last week for Iron-Blooded Orphans. And I missed one week for Hunter Hunter, which is on right after Iron-Blooded Orphans. 9.30 Western. Western! Check me out. By the way, on Twitter, I'm at SilverTalkie. S-I-L-V-E-R-T-A-L-K-I-E. So check me out. And it's Hunter x Hunter. It's called Hunter Hunter. When you want to hashtag it, it's Hunter x Hunter. Or Iron-Blooded Orphans, we're just doing, I think, hashtag IBO. And now you've appeared in many, many animes while all this was occurring. And one of them just appeared on Netflix as Glitter Force, as the villains Ulrich, Brute, and Rascal. How'd you get involved in Glitter Force? And what was it like playing these three villains? There is a little story on this one. Sometimes it's just an email, but I think I went in to record Sailor Moon at Studiopolis and somebody had left an audition piece on the music stand in front of me. And so I was like, what's this? It said Glitter Force on it. Actually, it was a stack of them and it was all girls. It was all female roles. And I was like, oh, hey. And I, so I was joking. And I was like, well, hey, 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 how come I didn't get an audition for this? Because of course I wasn't going to get an audition for it. They're all like young girl characters. I could see that immediately. So I was joking. And Suzanne Goldish, who was directing Sailor Moon, was like, oh, I, I don't know. If you want to read one, you can read one. I'll turn it in for you. So I'm flipping through it. And I'm like, oh, there's one male role, Ulrich, the wolf. And I thought, oh, cool. I didn't even realize I was just making a joke. So I read the description and then read for the character. And then we proceeded to record our few episodes of Sailor Moon as we had planned. And then I heard back that I booked the role, which was awesome because they did not even call me to audition. For whatever reason, I just lucked out and they liked what I did and I booked it. And then that was just for the one role. And then when I got in and was actually recording, then they started throwing other roles at me, which I was like, really? Yeah, I'd love to read this. There's four main villains in the series and three of them are male and I get to play all three of those. It's one of those dream shows for me. I had so much fun flipping back and forth. And this is on Netflix. It's Glitter Force. There's 20 episodes out. We've got another 20 that we've been finished. I'm hoping by the end of this month. I don't know. I don't have any official word, but hopefully soon they'll put another 20 up. And it's such a fun and funny show. And the characters are great. And they're all so different. Oh, man, I had a blast on that show. And now is Glitter Force exclusively produced by Netflix or made for Netflix only? These shows that are made for Netflix, I don't know what happens to them. I assume they just stay on Netflix. Maybe eventually they put them out on Blu-ray and DVD. I don't know. It's kind of a new thing, these, these Netflix-only shows. But it is. It's Saban, Saban Entertainment. We know from Power Rangers and all kinds of other stuff who produced it. It's an old show that they've reworked called Pretty Cure. But it's an old show that was very, very popular. And it's the same basic plot. It's been changed up. We had a lot of fun with the dialogue. I think sometimes people love it and some people are like, you've changed this or you change that how could you because that's how fans are that's fine i like the haters too it's all good it doesn't affect the amount of fun as long as you're talking about the show and people are watching it and it seems to be doing extremely well people are loving it and i love all the characters on it that i get to play this guy right here is brood and he's awesome he's not the smartest of all of the bad guys hey did I just insult myself? He's kind of in there, and, and Ulrich. Ulrich is probably the meanest of him. Well, maybe. He's at least the most boisterous, and he's always grumbling under his breath about something. And then the other one I play is Rascal, and Rascal is... Well, 
rascal is up here. And even though he's kind of goofy, he gets very, very evil. And I think when you broke it down, he would be the most evil of all of them. <laughs> So uh, bouncing back and forth and getting to play all three of those in a session, plus a few kids here and there at school, was so much fun. I can't believe it's over. Just looking forward to the next 20 episodes. My daughter loves the show, so we're waiting for more. And now you've been in so many roles on anime alone, and I'm sure you get this question asked a bunch. Uh-oh. A lot. Here it comes. Do you have a favorite role or a favorite show that you worked on? It changes. Let me say that right off the bat. So if you guys hear me in an interview like six months ago, and I'm like, it's definitely this show. And then now I say, oh, it's that show. That's because it changes. So I kind of go with what hits me first when I get asked that question. And I can narrow it down to two. I was always a big fan of Lupin the Third. So there's a film called Jigen's Great. Stone, and I got the opportunity to play Loop on the Third, which was an absolute total dream come true for me. It's a dream role awesome movie, beautifully animated and it was such an honor and I'm so proud of the work that I did on that. That's on Hulu. You can watch it on Hulu. It's also available through Discotech Media and that is available on Blu-ray and DVD and it's great. But check it out on Hulu. I think you can watch it for free with commercials on Hulu. It's called Jigen's Gravestone. They have the dub and subtitled version on there. So that was one and I'm having a blast right now working on Hunter Hunter playing Hisoka actually. I'm having a blast with him. He is so weird but so out there and so fun to play. So Hisoka is my favorite right now. And very current, strangely enough. And that's the one, Toonami. Check it out, 9.30. Guess not for kids. I don't know how bad it's going to get. It's not too bad. There's a lot of death. It's not so bad yet, but my daughter's five. And if she were watching, she'd be like, did, that, did he just die? She's not used to seeing that. So I wouldn't let her see it. Clearly on Adult Swim for a reason. I'm not sure how far it goes. But uh, I'm along for the ride because I've been enjoying working on it. And I've been enjoying watching it. So live tweet with me, yo. And now you've also done a lot of video game work. Some of your major roles is from League of Legends is Shen along with Vector, the Crocodile for the Sonic games. Hey, all right, Sonic. You mentioned Hunk from Resident Evil, and you've you worked I on did. Street Fighter V as Gokin and yeah. Mahesh or Mahesh. Yeah, you tell me. I'll take your word for it on that. Something like that. So how do these roles typically come about with video games? It's really the same pool of people in terms of not just the actors, but the directors and the studios that are producing the video games also. There's no reason for a studio to be like, we only do anime. We don't do video games. So generally it's the same. A lot of it's very similar process. However, the recording process can be different. In fact, the three main things are original animation, which is recording not to picture, which usually you do in a group read, group read style. So there's four or five five or six or seven of you in a room and you're reading a script live with each other and they're recording it and you're reacting off of each other. And then you've got dubbing, which most of the time is just you in the booth being directed and you're just doing your lines only, which you preview your line, you see how it was originally done and then you do it and you do it how you want to do it, but keeping the same flavor, just an emotion that was there originally. And then there's video games, some parts of video games, like the cutscenes. sometimes you're dubbing it. So sometimes you're actually watching it and matching it. And sometimes you're matching Japanese or any other language, which you have to match the length of time. I did a Russian game recently that was originally in Russian, which means you'd hear the Russian and then you'd have your line and you'd want to match not the lip flap, but the timing of it. So start at the same time and end at the same time, but get through it any way you want to, basically. But video games are a lot of one line at a time. You might have a script with 100 lines and maybe they'd say, hey, let's go through each line. Give me each line three times, three different takes of it and then we'll move on to the next line. And director would say, I'll stop you if we need to redirect you. And you'll go down the page and boom, 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 next line, boom, 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 next line. So video games can be different in the sense that you're just tearing through lines very quickly 
quickly if it doesn't need a lot of direction. If it's a fighting game and now you've got 25 taunts, we all know how taunts are going to go. So I'll give you three versions of each taunt and you guys pick the ones that you want. If it's a monologue or something, it'll be a little different. But if you're just saying grenade, frag out, watch your flank, these you're just calling them out and give them a couple of different versions to choose from. Same basic process, same people, same studios, same directors for the most part. I think that video games are more intense a lot of times. If you're doing war games and fighting games, there's a lot more yelling and screaming. They can be more vocally strenuous. It depends on the project, obviously. And another video game that you just appeared in that is a huge success that you're part of is Overwatch as the character Torbjorn. I don't think it was Torbjorn. I think it's Torbjorn. It's all right. They had to tell me a bunch of times too. I thought it was Torbjorn at first, but it's not. It's like Torbjorn, I think. So how did you get booked for this game? And did you ever anticipate the success that this game would have and you being a part of it? Well, first off, I got an audition. This was one of those email auditions and they explained the character. And I did a little research first and just at home on my computer to figure out a dialect that would kind of work. And I read for it, sent it in, and luckily they loved it and they brought me in. It was Blizzard. So honestly, I expected a lot of success. There was always the potential for maybe the project to fall through because Blizzard doesn't do anything unless it's awesome is what I've learned about Blizzard. They will just scrap a project if they feel it's less than awesome. That's my perception from what I've seen. If something's not working, it's not about how much money they put into it. Maybe they can fold it into something else, but no, that's not working. We're done with that. Everything they do is awesome and the fans go cuckoo crazy psycho nuts over it. So I did think, well, there's a chance it won't happen, but if it happens, I figured it was going to be huge and that's just because Blizzard only does so many games and the ones they do are really well known. So it was really cool just knowing like, all right, if this happens, it's going to be a pretty big deal. It's a pretty new game. I think we're still just in the first phases of it. It hasn't been out that long. So we still have a lot to see about how popular it is and where it goes. Most of their games stay. When Blizzard has a game, whether it's Hearthstone or Warcraft or Starcraft, they stay and the next incarnation of them continues to come out or the next expansion, depending on what game it is. So I think we've got a long way to go with this to see really where the popularity lands. It may be even far more popular than it is right now. It's new. A lot of people maybe haven't gotten to it, haven't started playing it yet, but we'll see how it explodes over the next year and just see what happens with it. And now with you acting in both anime, video games, radio, doing a lot of commercial work, which we didn't touch upon, what advice do you have for people who want to get into the voice acting community? If they sound like me, stay away. Get out. Don't even, you don't want a piece of this. If you sound exactly like me, that you make so much money as a doctor or a lawyer, like do that. That's not me being arrogant. That's me being protective. No, really, there's room for everybody. I jest, of course, because that's what I do. My thing is, if you're serious and you really want to be a voice actor, and I mean really do, there's a lot of people believe that we make tons of money. That's not the case. It's hard work. There are sessions that are like dream sessions that are like super easy and you go in and have two lines and you walk out and you make good money. But there are also sessions where you really scream your butt off and there's lots of those. And you work hard to get every session that you get. Even the ones you're just called for, you put in work over years and years to get to that point where they can just call you. So if you're serious, I'd say don't do it for the money because some people believe that and that's not really the way, especially anime. Anime does not pay well at all. We do this stuff because we love it. We do this stuff because we can't imagine doing anything else. But if you really want to do it, you got to be serious about moving either to Los Angeles or New York. You can get voiceover work in other places. Those aren't the only two places. But if you're really serious and you really want to make a career out of it, you should probably be in one of those two cities. So be that serious. So if you're in the Midwest or something and you're like, you want to be a voice actor and you're just, I'm going to go on this website. That's a great start. But if you're serious about it, at some point you're going to move here or you're going to move to New York and know that it takes time and know that you're going to have to really work at it. And there are those overnight successes like in any kind of acting, but it doesn't happen that often. If that works for you, then great. But you're still going to have to be somewhere else. So just be serious about it because a lot of people want to stay where they are and do it. And it's a career decision. If you really want to do it, you've got to jump in wholeheartedly 
wholeheartedly. Take classes, be serious about it. Any class, improv classes will help, voiceover classes. I think you can take voiceover classes over Skype and over the internet anyway. So even if you are somewhere else where they don't offer classes, I bet you can find an LA-based Skype class, for example. I don't have one to mention to you now, but I'm sure you can. There are lots of books to read about how to get started. If you're serious about it, do the work, do the research, take acting classes, any acting classes, wherever you are, and that's your start. And then get on out here and do it for reals. It's really a matter of focus and really wanting to do it. If you really know what you're getting into and that's really what you want, then come join us. Come out and read with me. I'd love to play with any of you and see how talented you are and get on a show with you guys. So whoever's out there listening and wants to do that, I wish you the best of luck. It'd be great to work with you someday. And now, last question. Uh-oh. Do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Twitter, website? Well, there's a few conventions coming up. I've got Anime Nebraska on. There's another one I might do, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. So I won't tell you that one yet. But Anime Nebraska on is November 4th through the 6th. So if you're in the Nebraska area, come check me out there. Please follow me on Twitter. Again, I'm live tweeting and I like to make announcements on different shows and such on Twitter. And that's at Silver Talkie, S-I-L-V-E-R-T-A-L-K-I-E. Also, you can find me on Facebook as Keith Silverstein Voice Artist. You can also find me as Keith Silverstein and I get people that friend me there, but that's family pictures and that whole thing. So I don't accept a lot of requests on that unless I know you don't take that personally. You don't want to know that stuff anyway. I do all my announcements and everything on Keith Silverstein Voice Artist. And I actually am more likely to announce and post things initially on the Facebook page. I've got a full list of my resume and pretty much all the characters I played and shows I've worked on. So if you want a little more information, you can check me out on KeithSilverstein.com and just see my actual professional website or join me on Facebook and pretty much all that information is there too. Plus, that's where I make announcements. So if you want to know where I'm appearing, you want to know what show I'm in, I try to post and say, hey, I'm in Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, new episode this Sunday. That's where that will be. So the else you got promoting? Saul's All Beef Hot Dogs. When you want all beef and nothing else, you need Saul's. Brush a brush a white teeth. Your teeth couldn't possibly be whiter than when you brush a brush it with brush white teeth. Porn, porn, porn. Get it now. Wow, everybody. 50 episodes of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. I never thought I would make it to this number. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you to all the guests that have appeared in the last 50 episodes. And the four that are unofficial. Thank you to them as well. As well as thank you to the fans who have constantly listened to this podcast every week. Because without you, this podcast wouldn't exist. And thank you to all the people who promoted this on social media. Whether it's Twitter or Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest. It's greatly appreciated because you helped contribute to this podcast's growth. Now having said all that, I'm taking a month off. Because in the last year, I brought you 50 episodes, I brought you countless articles on popanimecomics.com, and I just need some time to myself to go enjoy some anime, enjoy some comics, go see a few friends. But in that month, I'm going to be preparing for Season 2. I already have 25 interviews prepared for Season 2, ranging from cosplayers, wrestlers, comic writers, artists, voice actors... And I'm getting more and more each and every day. So this podcast isn't going anywhere. It's just taking a month off. But in that month, what would be greatly appreciated by everybody to help us grow and get even more guests would be to share this on social media. Go tweet it. Tweet it at me. Tweet it at your friends. Tweet it at your mom. You can also share it on Facebook. Share it with your friends. You can shoot it in a message to your friends. That's always greatly appreciated. And you can even call a friend to tell them about the podcast. 
any which way you want to get it out, including smoke signals if you know how to do it, but just be careful when you do that. That's all I have to say on smoke signals. As well as you can definitely write a review on iTunes, which is the most effective way to help us because it allows us to move up in the ranks and exposes us to more people in the iTunes community, which allows us to bring you more high profile guests. So that's how you can help us in this month to continue to grow. And I will see you in a month with season two. And all I can say to end all this is thank you so much for supporting this podcast week in and week out to both my fans and my guests.